Hey everyone, welcome back to the Palace Podcast. I'm your co-host George Boutsalis. And I'm Ricky Liorti. And this week we had former NHL defenseman Mark Frazier on the podcast. We wanted to discuss some of the issues that are happening in the world, his new article on the Players' Tribune, and racism in sports, specifically hockey. He shared a lot of uh, insights into his experience growing up playing hockey and kind of some of the adversity he's faced. Uh, and shared some positive feedback on how people can work towards making a change. Uh, it was a fantastic conversation, very insightful, very eye-opening. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy it, give it a listen, and share it with as many people as uh, you think should hear this message. My pal, LFG. Let's go. Welcome to the Palace Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Uh, big time right now. A lot of, a lot of stuff going on. And uh, obviously with you too, uh, recently wrote a big article, which is super, super exciting and uh, really well written. Fantastic. So um, congrats on releasing that and getting that out there. Thank you. Yeah, I know it's, um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's strange times for sure. Um, obviously everything going on with the pandemic and then the situation we're facing right now or that America's facing and then, um, you know, the, the reflection of that from, from over here in Canada, uh, the hockey community, all of it. Yeah. There's a lot going on right now, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, crazy times right now. Hey, pretty strange times. No doubt. Yeah. How you, uh, how you been keeping up in Ottawa? I mean, during, I mean, if you want to jump back a little bit, like what have you been up to these days? How you keeping busy? What do you, uh, I guess, cause you're obviously like not playing right now. So what's, what's been going on with you? Yeah. Um, not much. probably like what, you know, most guys have been doing as far as, uh, trying to keep busy, doing a lot of odd jobs around the house, things that I've, I feel like spring cleaning's been like three and a half months long now, <laughs> just trying to figure out things to do around the crib. But, um, yeah, just trying to stay busy, uh, working on a few side projects, doing some home workouts, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. Not the weather's a bit nicer, uh. I got myself a bicycle and I'm hitting the town quite a bit. It's funny, you get a bike, all of a sudden you discover new parts of the city that you've lived in your whole life. You just, there was like 10 minutes away, there's just no reason for me to ever venture to these parks and these beaches and stuff if I wasn't doing it by car. So it's it's uh, it's nice, uh, you know, getting out. I got to have a great neighbors and a great block where we're fighting hard to make it to 4 p.m. before we have a social. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, I feel, yeah, I feel like it's just kind of standard COVID for, mo- for most people. Yeah, yeah. What you've been doing? You've been doing a lot of home workouts, stuff you found online, or still in touch with your buddies. Get a little group, small group workouts. Um, so I've just been doing some stuff solo. I got a bike, stationary bike at home, so uh, I just been doing a bunch of bike sprints to get a little bit of cardio in, and uh, I just hit up my trainer to get some body weight stuff and some like body weight and, and cable band stuff. Really, I'm trying to. My goal is to come out of this thing jacked just from doing body weight workouts. <laughs> Man, it's it's true. A lot of people are doing it right now. Like push-ups, sit-ups, chin-ups, squats, lunges, basically everything you need to do, you can do with body weights. For sure. Exactly. I've been doing a lot of like exact squats, lunges, push-ups, jumping jacks, core work. Um, I'm, t- I'm the kind of guy that like, like my routine, daily routines already includes like 200 push-ups a day just because I like to get that little bit of swell on. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's always something I kind of already was doing anyways, but 
No, that's exactly it. I'm trying to I'm trying to prove a point to myself. As much as I love the gym and I love like just hitting up the gym just to do my own thing, um, I'm trying to prove to myself that I can actually maintain pretty good shape without having having to pick up a weight once. Did you find that at the beginning was there any like challenges? Did you say like was it a struggle to get into it or for you? Because you do your push-ups and all that, did you just kind of get right into it? And it's been easy to maintain. Uh, it was it was a struggle for me. Like when I came back was uh, mid March, like right before things popped off, right before like borders were closing. Um, we my season had just ended, like playoffs hadn't started, but we were dead last anyway, so uh, it didn't matter. But I came home and I was kind of in like that summer phase, and then um, obviously having a quarantine and just kind of you know coming home, I'm expecting like. The parade, the red carpet, like, you know, shook back in town. Where are we going? Let's party. Where are my friends at? I expect everyone to drop everything for the first three weeks so they can just follow me around the bars. Yeah. I couldn't do any of that. I couldn't see anybody for, like, a, a while, obviously. So, um, yeah, that motivate. like, it was hard to get motivated because I was just, my girl and I, we were just, uh, you know, we were just couching it. Like, we're been pretty good now. We barely watch TV now, but early on like we just crushed the whole game of thrones series i'd never seen it like we were just right. we, were, we were doing so good so good i get it now i get it but uh, uh yeah just doing deep dives into like a bunch of the shows we hadn't watched but it was hard man when you're doing that when you're just like literally waking up and being a couch potato the whole time um it was hard to find any real motivation but i kind of i start my days first thing i roll out of bed i go right upstairs and hop on the bike so that's been helping me uh just find some kind of routine, you know? Nice, very nice. Um, so you you said you're overseas. You're you're out in Europe now. Yeah. Yeah. Last year I was in Germany. Yeah. Nice. And how's that been? Was it like first time out there? Was it a bit of an adjustment or uh what was it that? Wasn't, it wasn't too bad. The first year I went I saw three years for me now. Um the first year was in Finland, which was great. It was dope. I was in a good city. Um I kind of compared it a little bit to Ottawa in the sense that it's it's not like the it's not Helsinki. It's not the major city. It's called um, Turku, but it's like uh, it was four hundred thousand people, so it's smaller than Ottawa. But it was like the next step down of like the big cities, you know. So there was lots of English. Like the hockey was great. Um, the team was partially owned by the Ko- uh, Koivu brothers, so there's been like a lot of NHL guys who had come through that particular system. So the quality and treatment was like top notch. Um, Slovakia was a second year that was. Um, that was not as enjoyable. <laughs> to be blunt, um, it definitely was not as much fun. Um, but, you know, still an experience, I guess. And it's the dope thing about Slovakia is that it was so close to so many other cities and countries. So I could, like, in two, less than two hours or two two and a bit, I get to um, Budapest. Um, I could get to uh, Krakow. I could get uh, Krakow, Poland, Vienna, Austria, um, Salzburg, Austria, Prague. In the Czech Republic. Some really good drinking cities there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, on that topic, bringing me to Germany. um, Yeah, (laughs) uh, Germany was pretty cool. I was in a small town, small village. So, like, it was tough because there wasn't a ton of action and a ton of things to do. And because of that, we were all kind of – there's a lot of imports in the the German league, which was nice. It was a very North Americanized league as far as European hockey goes. But uh, we were just really spread out in the town I was in. So – it was challenging in that sense. We had a lot of long road trips, which was nice because that was the back of the bus was always bumping. And so that, <laughs> I think like a lot of the guys almost were looking forward to the road because it's where we actually got to hang out the most. But um, overall, like the experience was was dope. It was nice. It just was the hockey side was rough being in the bottom of the standings the entire season and 
the small town was was challenging, but I mean, overall, people were great. People were nice. The league is good. It was a lot of familiar boys I played with in Toronto, like a bunch, a few guys with the Marlies have been over there. So it was just nice reconnecting with a lot of familiar faces. Are you heading back there next season? I'm not sure what's up right now. Um, I'm kind of uh, I'm in limbo. I'm trying to figure out what my next move is gonna be. Um, but to be honest, I haven't. Hockey hasn't really been on uh, this off season. Hasn't really been on the forefront of my mind. So we'll. We'll see. I got a couple other little projects that are that I'm trying to cook up, and between you know this, the probability of them launching uh, before I leave, whenever that would even be, um, the 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 opportunities for imports are going to be a little bit different overseas this year because economies got hit with COVID and no one made any playoff revenue. So it all kind of I got to figure out what I'm what I'm kind of doing, but I'm I'm uh, I'm not stressing about it too much right now. Yeah, there's some more important things on the agenda right now, I can imagine. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. So, I mean, I guess on that note, just to kind of like jump into it again, um, you know, the Players' Tribune, I mean, again, very moving piece, like really well written. So, like, kudos to you for for stepping up and and writing that. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, like, how does does that work? Like, does the Players' Tribune reach out to you? Do you say, you know, I have something I want to kind of talk about? How did that come about? Yeah, so I – um. Basically, like once, once, uh, well, one, once George Floyd was murdered, and then we saw sort of the aftermath and the handling of it in America, and how things um, were really escalating, and, and and the police brutality and the police assaults were getting a lot worse. Um, it was actually uh, uh, Erica Branson, who's a good buddy of mine. Um, I think he might have been on. You yeah, guys, yeah, on, uh, what a month ago, two months yeah, ago, yeah, a month or two ago, yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I thought I'd seen that. So anyways, he, uh, he had reached out, like I, we know he's from the same town as me. So, um, I guess you could say he's been a little bit of a protege of mine, you know, as I was already in the league and he was still in juniors kind of coming up. Did you guys but, ever square off? No, nah, he knows better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Um, yeah, he, uh, but no, he reached out to me just saying, um, you know, he was shook too and he was having a mix of emotions. And he was trying to, he was basically wondering, like, he wanted to do something or say something, but he didn't know. He was asking, you know, without, you know, feeling tone deaf, like, is my opinion needed right now? And I was like, 100%. I, I, we, we had a lengthy conversation. I referred him to a few other articles I had read. Uh, one actually was on Players Tribune from Kyle Korver, uh, NBA player. He's a white guy. And he, this was from a few years ago. But his story was basically that he didn't realize until like he was in it, until he had a personal experience with some of his teammates, that their lives are just a lot different than his. And he was he wrote all about his privilege. So my point to Eric was now more than ever is when a white athlete's opinion is needed, as long as the opinion's on the right side of the fence. But it's it's the majority speaking up right now that is allowing like myself to have a voice. So I told them uh I told him, you know, just start writing your thoughts down, whatever. I'll, I'll help you with it. And if you want, you know, we'll, you know, I'll do whatever I got to do to send it to whoever, you know, the Tribune, the, the, the Athletic, whatever. So that was on like a Thursday or Friday. And then on the weekend, I just was like, screw this. I'm just going to write my own. You know, I just need to, I've been having obviously a lot of conversations with a lot of my black friends, my family, my white friends. And uh, I don't know, I was just, it was a really heavy week. It was a, been a really heavy couple of weeks of just a whirlwind of emotions. And, and, and you know, in my article it says like I, I can't remember a time in my life where I cried for every day for a week. You know, that's 
Cause that's that's rare for a lot of us. So I just put my put my pen to paper really and just kind of poured it all out there. And I went onto the uh, Tribune um, website and I saw there's a an athlete's application like form. So I just filled it in and and thankfully they got back to me almost immediately. So by like Monday, I was chatting with an editor, and by the following Friday, we had it published and 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 put out there for the public to see. So it was really just from taking my own initiative, you know. It was like kind of sparked from the conversation I had had with Eric, uh, with Goody, but then from there it was really just, uh, you know, what I don't need to be so much helping him with his message. I got a pretty powerful message. I feel like I'm sitting on right now, so why not get that out there? Uh, so I just took the initiative to, to like I said, sit down and write it. I filled out an athlete application with them. They hit me up right away. And, you know, four or five days later, um, it was done. So I was very grateful, to be honest. And then they were telling, you know, I think they get a lot of submissions from athletes that might, you know, they need a lot of uh, polishing. Um, but thankfully, you know, they were really impressed with what, what I had to say and how I said it. And and uh, to be honest, like the, the the final edit was very much what I what I it was my words. It was very much my message and what I had said. And I was really happy that they were able to to not to not mess around with it too much because it was really um, I wasn't trying to make it a conversation. You know, I was trying to just sit down and just very candidly just pour my emotions out. Um, so I'm happy. You know, it, I'm happy. It's received a lot of a lot of uh, overwhelming support. So I'm, I'm I'm really happy for that. That's awesome, and and I, and I can say, as you know, we both we both read it, and uh, you get that vibe. It doesn't, it's not, it doesn't sound scripted at all. The narrative just sounds like I'm sitting, like we're sitting right here, and you're just kind of right. just putting your thoughts out, which uh, you know, you don't see a lot of articles like opinion pieces much posted that way. They're very like polished and all that. So, exactly. um, it was, you know, very cool because it sounds like you're having a conversation and, and getting that side out, which is which is really nice to see. Yeah, that was big for me. I didn't want the tone to be changed, and, and you know. My mom, I don't even know how she, honestly, I think she must have been like Google refreshing my name because she read it like two minutes after I tweeted it for the first time and she doesn't have Twitter. So she was, on, <laughs> she was on that right away. But, you know, she said like, it's, you know, it's, my mom knows me. So it sounds like you, you know, and I, I like that. That's the whole, that was the whole point of the message. I didn't want, I didn't need someone else to write my feelings on how I deal with racism. You know, I needed. Yeah. I needed that to be a very genuine sentiment coming from my own tone. So, um, no, it was um, a privilege that they were able to work with me and do it. I mean, I've always admired that platform. So I've truly just felt honored that, you know, they were willing to, to, to help me get my story out there. Yeah. We're, we're glad you did. Cause it is a moving piece, especially again, we're, we're two guys from the city of Toronto. We we've never really faced racism head on. You, you see about it, you read about it, but I've never seen it firsthand. And I'm sure maybe George's, similar to me but when you read something like that and, and you see that kind of uh, hardships and even kind of going back in your career being from ottawa playing hockey as a young black kid there's not many people that look as big as you as tall as you as strong as you with the same color as you did you face that adversity right from the get-go or did you notice it got worse as you grew up uh yeah definitely what it started in minor hockey but it, it's something that would have I've, I've said recently in interviews it's something that it's like the deeper and further entrenched in the game I got, the further my career took me, um, almost the more prevalent it was. And it's almost like the deeper you get into the hockey community and hockey industry, the less black people you see, <laughs> you know. Um, obviously, statistically, there's not a lot of us, but just like anyone who's playing the game, right? Not everyone. So let's just say in Ottawa, 
There could have been. There isn't. The 20 black guys playing. But then when I get to the NHL, I'm lucky if I see like one or two here and there, um, you know, as my teammates or even in my division or something. So, yeah, in that sense, like the further I got, the less it was. But my first incident like that I kind of introed with in the, in the article was um, when I was 14. At least the first one that like I was really aware of. Um, and to be honest, at the time, I still wasn't completely sure of like what was being said to me. And it wasn't really until afterwards that uh, my parent, uh, my, my, my teen's parents, my dad and a couple other parents on my side were asking, like, what were those guys heckling at you when you're in the penalty box? And I told them they're they yelling at me to go bash back to the There's a few other lines they were using. I had no idea what they meant. And, and it wasn't until after that that it was explained to me that, like, basically they're, they're essentially telling you to go back to Africa, go back to the bush. Um, but I needed that, you know, I was at a point, I was 14, so, like, I get it, but I didn't still understand what that message meant, so I still kind of had to be explained. Um, but that was, like, the earliest, like, run-in that I, that I really remembered, at least. Now, uh, do you think that, so, you grew up with a family, like, your father played a lot of, you know, in sports, he was an athlete, um, as he came up, and I, I'm sure he faced some adversity, too. Did that play a role? Like when this stuff happened to you, did kind of what he went through as well play a part in helping you handle it or understand it better? Like was there some lessons that came from from what he dealt with? Uh, definitely. Um, more than anything, um, I think through my, my dad's experience as an Olympic athlete in the 70s, um, and he's a football player. Um, actually, I was drafted by the Argos way back then. But he um, – it was that uh, – what you kind of take in those moments are the understanding the experience and that this is just going to be a thing. So like what, what I mean by that is like, you kind of, you take it on as almost like it's a scar, right? It's not something that necessarily I went home that night and like, you know, maybe lost a lot of sleep over, but through that experience, my own experiences and through my dad's experiences, it just became evident that this is something that you're going to have to deal with. So it was like as much as you can like take a scar and wear it and be like, you know, it doesn't need to bother that that wound is closed. It doesn't need to bother me anymore. Um, but the scar is still there. It's there's still like every day in your future, you're going to still have that memory of what that wound was. And and you're gonna probably have to try to learn some kind of lesson from it. Not a lesson like necessarily for me, but I can't prevent these scars, these wounds from happening. Um, but it more of just like building a tough skin on how to deal with it, how to just, how to sort of take it in stride, how to not let it slow you down, you know? And that, that was sort of something I learned from, from my father and my grandfather's experiences, more of just an awakening awareness of like, you're not going to be immune to this either. So what are you going to do? Are you just, are you going to let it defeat you? Or are you just going to say, you know, turn the other cheek and keep on moving? Yeah. I, I wanted to mention one thing about even minor hockey and I'm kind of going back a little bit. I was reading an article about the, the GTHL in, in Toronto and how they're trying to <clears throat> they cover it up almost and they're not really dealing with that issue head on. And then you, you mentioned that one of your first experiences when you're 14 and learning how to cope with it when you're just a kid or you're just a teenager is much more difficult than when you're a grown man. And, you know, when you face media scrutiny when you're 20, 22, 23, it's a lot easier to digest it and, and you know, handle it. But when you're 14 and you're dealing with people heckling you at a young age like I, I just don't I don't know how people can really 
uh, one on there and look at themselves in the mirror at night. But then two, it's like, how do you expect a 14 year old to just wear this and pretend like nothing happened and, you know, emotionally kind of think about what happened when you're 14, you're still a kid. Exactly. I think one of the like gross injustices that the GTL and other leagues, but GTL probably is one of the, the biggest one, definitely. Um, but probably sees the most black athlete, black hockey players in it. Um, I think the biggest injustice they're doing is sort of the cover-up. Um, because it's not just that these kids, these young teens, are, are being victimized by being called racial slurs or whatever. It's, it's also that a lot of it's coming from other teens. It's a lot of it's coming from other opponents. It's the kids on the ice that they're doing it. So for the numbers that have drastically grown in the last three years of racial incident, and there's players out there now who can say, you know, in, in, in at least half the games I played in in the GTL last season, I had someone calling me a racial slur. Like half the game, that's 20 plus games, right? If, if only a few of those instances are known by the league, by like kind of sweeping it under the rug or trying to like not maybe make it public or not divulge it or whatever, they're doing a massive disservice to the young black player. Because yeah, like I used the analogy kind of wearing that scar, you're now allowing not only the victim or, or making the victim walk through his life with those scars. And let's be clear here, they probably don't get called racial slurs that often in, in the schoolyard or in the street or whatever. So why in the hockey community is it happening more prevalent than like in their day-to-day lives? And in this game that we're supposed to be all-inclusive and supporting and it's the best game and the best sport in the world. Well, if it is, then we got to clean that up. We got to clean that up at a young level. If we truly want to diversify, how are you supposed to build a nation of minority young black hockey players or young brown hockey players protect these kids you're you're basically protecting the accused you're they'd rather protect the image of the league and the game and the white kids that are dropping m-bombs than do anything for the black kids who now have to wear this and the black kid let me tell you when you get called an n-word it it strips your identity away it strips you down to being nothing and a lot of the kids dropping these bombs might not know the true depths of what the word means or the power of it but the point is they're walking around privileged enough, comfortable enough, where in the heat of a battle or a moment, they can drop it on an opponent. And the person that is the victim who receives those 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 attacks doesn't get protected, doesn't doesn't get any help from his league. I think it's a gross injustice from any minor hockey associations across Canada who are aware of that and are not willing to do any kind of proper disciplinary action for it, or even just hiding the statistics of it. You know, look, the cat's out of the bag. There's racism in hockey. I think it would actually help us fight against this issue in the hockey community, but also in society. If the GTL said, you know what? There was 100 cases or 90-some cases last year that we know of, that we know of. <laughs> think of all the ones they don't that weren't heard by a referee, right? So by them not, announce, by them not releasing those statistics, in my opinion, they're hurting the athlete and the progress of the sport. You need to get in front of this. You can't, like, living in blind ignorance is the wrong side of the fence in this argument. And if that's what these hockey organizations are choosing to do, then they're taking us backwards, in my opinion. You know what? It's interesting you say that because people are, are, like, saying words. And the problem is 
it's a lot of times it'll go unnoticed by the referees or parents or anything. So you're in the corner, you're battling out with someone and someone calls you the N word and you lose your temper. You hit, you like slash the guy in the legs who goes to the penalty box. Yeah. You, right. It's like they catch the retaliation, but they don't know what, what really happened or who said what. And, you know, sometimes these people get away with it and it, it's, you think it, it goes unpunished. So then the older they get, they're thinking this is part of the game, right? I'll get under this guy's skin where it's like, listen, there's chirping is part of hockey, but there's lines you don't cross, you know, like racism, homophobia, like all these things you, you don't do it in the sport. The sport's a, a game we all love. If you want to give them guy hell and tell him, you know, he, he can't skate or watch out for the blue line or whatever yeah. shirts people use in, in minor hockey these days, I get it. But when you start crossing those lines at a young age, you end up crossing them at an older age and then you end up growing up to an adult who still crosses those lines every day. And then we're at this point where we got George Floyd being more, uh, murdered yeah, by yeah. someone who probably grew up crossing those lines. Exactly. And you're going to raise your children to allow them to think that the same, the same rule, the same rules apply, the same beliefs apply that you can, you can operate like that, which is just simply not the case. But it's really, you know, when I started hearing and reading a bit more about the GTL stuff, it was really quite disturbing because, like, my God, this is the whole point of, of, you know, me coming out, of me speaking about this issue, is to bring awareness that this is very much happening in, in the hockey community as well. Don't be ignorant to think that hockey's so pure and perfect that this doesn't happen. And then to find out as a pro, as a former NHLer, that children, like teens, are dealing with this and adults are aware of it and the adults aren't doing anything to help them. I mean, that is, that that's, it's... It's truly sickening to me. And, and like being an Ottawa boy, there's always like so much sort of respect for like the Toronto hockey community because it is just such a massive operation and it produces so much amazing talent. But I think just a few hours down the road, that's how they handle business. I mean, it truly, it just, it, it boils my blood. Well, you also, I, if I'm not mistaken, also you uh, were interviewed or you'd written an article back December 2019 that also dealt with something in minor hockey is that is that correct and up in Ottawa I think what that was uh I think there was something so it was a CBC piece yeah I believe um it was in light it was after Akeem Aliou came out about uh Bill Peters so I think uh, I can't remember why if uh, what what I had been saying that perhaps might have gotten on me on CBC's radar but yeah, someone there reached out, and then there was a uh, a local father, a uh, a black guy, immigrated here to Canada, and his son grew up, and his kids plays hockey now. So they had myself and the father and the dad on, um, okay. just like the phone the phone interview sort of that was uh, that was played on CBC CBC Radio in Ottawa, I think. But yeah, that's what I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what that was. Okay, no, and I was just asking because again, like it seems like. You know, to your point, like this problem, it seems like it's a, it's perpetuating the problem too. I mean, so Rick grew up playing hockey. I didn't play hockey, but I mean, when you're on the rink, like other players will hear it or kids will hear it, your teammates will hear it, your coach might even get it from the bench. Maybe the parents will hear it from the glass, but I mean, you have to be kind of oblivious to think that the parents don't know exactly what's said or what goes on, right? I mean, you you kind of know what takes place, and and there's that that term people a lot of people use in law like ignorance is not an excuse right just because you don't you think you don't know what's happening and you play like you know oh i didn't know he said it that's not really an excuse you should be instilling good values i mean i, I, mean, I grew up playing sports you play sports to learn leadership skills to learn teamwork to learn all this stuff and i get it when you get more competitive and you get up to like a double a triple a rep any sport 
you know, tempers get a little hotter and you're trying to kind of fight to get to the top. But yeah. to Ricky's point, like, again, anything racial, homophobic, all that good stuff. But, like, especially we're in, like, 2020 today, you yeah, there's no yeah. excuse for it ever. But you would think that it's so prevalent and in the news now that it wouldn't exist. And it, it is a shame that it does. Well, and that's the that's thing. A thing. Okay. 2020, it's 2020, you assume that it's not something that's going to happen anymore. But then you bring into the conversation like the sports world and like locker rooms and all you know what I mean? and we we know what a, a locker room is like it's it's kind of like boys will be boys in a sense like there's a lot of things that are said first of all there's a there's like the sanctity of the locker room that most things that are said will stay in the locker room and that's generally because you don't need media and all these other outside opinions trying to interfere with what we as a team are trying to accomplish so just whether it's a person you know, we're having a team meeting about a guy's, uh, you know, drinking problem or or we're doing something, um, you know, just strategic, like in our team's plan. It doesn't matter. It stays in this locker room type of type of environment. And I mean, so that's why I always thrive, because as long as you're just one of the bo- as if you can be a good dude and you can last as a good teammate, man, you can get you can get contracts for that type of stuff. Um, but so that means like the locker room, you know, creates this like really casual boys hanging out, you know, kind of inclusive environment. But when you have that in sports, which is a great a great aspect of sports, it forms that camaraderie. You also are just kind of like you can be so candid that you can always just kind of spit whatever you want and just say whatever you want. So that's where like the weird thing of like the sports and what you're saying like kind of meet because sports is so like there's this acceptance of like like you said trash talking like you can get dirty with what guy you know what guys want. If you got dirt on the guy's girl or something. <laughs> use that right it's true yeah but that's still like a chirp it's not like an attack it's not a personal attack it's it's dirty and you're really like you're cutting close because you're trying to get under the guy's skin you're kind of teetering on that line on the fence exactly it's that line and like you know what there's some snakes that will definitely say things about guys girls and they'll create like they'll get their heads bashed in and that's cool you say something about guys girl you better be tough because you expect expect the retaliation (laughs) it's about someone's sexual orientation and and most certain, the crazy thing to me is the hockey community has been behind, um, you know, uh, the, the been supporting of um, the LGBTQ community for some time. Um, they have uh, actions and they have programs, and if you can play, you can play. The whole point is, hey, hockey community, we full on recognize that it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is, if you can play this game, you can play this game. End of story. We're open our doors and everything to everyone. We don't want this to be a place of judgment where people uh, with different sexual orientations cannot feel comfortable. That is not at all what we want in the hockey community. And I fully support that. I think it's amazing and 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 it's, it's great. And it came you know, at the right time when LGBTQ rights were starting to become more and more prevalent, more and more spoken about, and, more, and, and all of us were realizing, no, this very much is something that should be addressed. Now, the crazy thing to me is, the hockey community can have its eyes so wide open about about that minority group, and then that's and I'm saying that being like they should. It's a great thing that they do, but it's wild to me that they can still have their eyes so closed about my minority group. You know that they can be like, we can't live in ignorance about uh, about the gay community when it comes to hockey. We gotta be welcoming there, but they totally live in ignorance when it comes to people of color because now in locker rooms, at least in locker rooms I've been in, and I've I, so this started with the Toronto Marlies, with Dallas Aikens as our coach, and it was during the lockout season before the lockout ended. 
and Berkey's, um, because of Berkey's son, they, well, uh, I can't remember the son who was, worked for Philly. But anyways, they were both in there. And the whole point was we had a whole orientation type meeting. And they had uh, a kid from Toronto, from the GTA, who was like 18 or 19 years old. And, and he was gay. And he came and spoke to us. It was all part of the if you can play, you can play a foundation. And he basically just broke it down for us. He said, in my experiences, um, you know, I dealt with the, the homophobic slurs in the locker rooms of multiple sports I played for my whole life. From the time of like 12 years old on, he realized that, that you know, he was different sexually. He had a really tough time dealing with like his own life and how to come out to his parents or not. And he just got so real with us. And he said, you know, hockey, I loved it so much that I tolerated with silently. I took the, I tolerated hearing those homophobic slurs in the locker room because I, I quit all the other sports, but hockey, I just was so passionate about. I was willing to deal with that pain just to play the game. So at the end of it, it basically came down to bringing our, to our awareness. If we can just take away whatever, like six, seven words from our vocabulary that we some guys in the room may commonly say, but not realizing it could really offend someone at the other end of the room. We got to cut that out and we got to hold each other accountable. So we kind of had like a swear jar where if anyone said anything that was homophobic, um, we would, you know, it was a 20, $25 fine. And then we'd make a donation to the foundation at the end of the season type of thing. But from then on, anytime I'm in a locker room and I hear someone say something that they shouldn't be uh, a homophobic slur, I'm on them right away. I say, don't say that. And I explain why if they're ignorant, they're like, ah, you know, but I don't mean it like that. It doesn't matter. Don't say that. Right. That's plain and simple. Why in the hockey locker room have I still not been able to say, don't make that, you know, joke about like, well, like, uh, you know, something about we're out to lunch and like a cop rolls by and like, oh, phrasal, you know, better look, you know, I get it. That's very much my life of being the minority. But like those same types of jokes are allowed in the locker room. You know, I've had NHL, an NHL coach give an orientation to the group and say, anyone here ever been in prison? And then look straight at me. And, you know, the guys all laugh and I just have to be like, ah, <laughs> sure, whatever. Because what am I going to do? Create a fuss? Obviously not. I'll get booted. You know what I mean? Like it might jeopardize my career. But I have to sit there and handle that. But the rest of us can acknowledge that there's other ways where we can grow with trying not to harm one another and fighting for a particular minority's equal rights. But the community is so ignorant to be like, we can do it there, but we can't do it here. Why would do it for both? You know what I mean? Like do it for both. It's so plain and simple for me. Do it for any type of oppressed person who in sports culture can't truly be themselves. Bring, make it more inclusive so that we can all benefit the way we want to so that we can grow this game in a be truly beautiful manner so by no means am i trying to say that like that any like i'm not definitely not trying to criticize any of the support for the lgbtq community in hockey that is 100 something i'm backing I'm, I'm full support for that community and i always will be but it's just it's it's, it's like hurtful to then be like looking at the hockey uh, not hockey gods, but the the, the the hockey businessmen at the top being like, and what about me, guys? And almost, it's just, I guess double standard almost. Well, yeah, exactly. And and exactly. And by no means am I complaining that, that the LGBTQ community has support because that's the way it should be. But it's just so wild to me that in 62 years of the NHL hosting black hockey players, they've like neglected 
the abuse to black hockey players. You know what I mean? And, and obviously in the past, like it was very evident in things in the past, but there obviously wasn't social media platforms and whatnot to really speak about this. Well, we got that now. So things are coming out like crazy, like wildfire now. And there's still no space of like of a change coming. It just, it's, it's, it's a trip to me, man. I just truly don't understand it, but it's, I mean, that's the whole part of the reason of me speaking up right now is to, is to not allow people to hide in ignorance anymore and, and to just basically speak my truth. And you, you don't like it, whatever, man. It's my truth. It happened to me. You know what? You mentioned something about like a lot of people not, not knowing it. I, again, Georgie said, I played in the GTHL for probably like 12 years, 10 years, like from my novice, which would have been 90, 1997 to maybe, I know, 2007, okay, 10, whatever, 11 years. And I never once heard anything about it. Like I was so oblivious to the fact, and I don't want to say I was ignorant, but I just, I never saw it. And then I know Wayne Simmons, I think there was a, a situation maybe about two or three years ago where like someone threw a banana on the ice or something. 2012, 2013. It was like right around one of those training camps. I think it might've even been a lockout training camp. In London or something, wasn't it? In London, Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, And it's like, I was like, how is this happening in hockey of all sports? Like hockey is, you know, it's Canada's sport. It's Canada's game. Like we're the best, most multicultural, one of the most multicultural countries in the world. Like how does this happen in, in our game? And then slowly then you fast forward to the last year or, or I guess maybe a, a year ago now, when Akeem Alou comes out in his story, and like I remember him in the GTHL. He was a year older than me, but like I got called up to the teams and I remember him like, you know, big, strong presence on the ice. And you, when he comes out with his story and then you have some critics saying, oh, well, he's just saying this to get a spotlight because he wasn't good enough. But it's like, man, maybe you think that if he was treated fairly, he would have had his chance. His career could have been completely different. Yeah. So like, it's, it's crazy to think that it's, I don't want to say so well hidden, but it's not discussed and spoken about as some of these other issues are, because if it wasn't, there are so many kids lives that could be completely different right now that might've gave up on the game because yeah. they were told this wasn't the game for them. Exactly. Or, you know, what, go, go play basketball or go play baseball. And it's like, man, like, what does it matter if a, if a black kid or a white kid wants to play hockey, who cares? Let them play whatever sport the, the kid wants to play. You know, you, think about, you got someone like P.K. Subban, like one of the greatest hockey personalities around right now, right? Like he's star defenseman. He's donates money to his communities. You know, he's always willing uh, to kind of give his two cents. And, you know, what if somebody told him you can't play hockey because you're black? Yeah. You have no P.K. Subban. You're missing one of the most electric defensemen of the last I don't yeah. know, decade or something. 100%. No, exactly. And that you make a perfect point. What what fires me up is the willingness and the ignorance that the community chooses to live in. Think of how many kids have suffered because of that and don't want to continue playing this game because of it. So that's why in my article, the Players' Tribune, I, it's titled Silence is Violence. I've gotten a little bit of, of kickback from that or of, um, you know, a little bit of criticism of that from some DMs. But to be honest, it's just it's really from... Uh, it's from people in the all lives matter community anyway, so I really try not to listen to it. But it's um, the whole point is being silent allows this to continue to happen, right? Being silent allows the oppression to continue to happen. Being silent about known issues in the GTL prevents future black players that are good enough to make it to the GTL or to the NHL ever, ever pursuing their dream. 
And that's a damn shame. The hockey community prides itself on being this amazing, inclusive, pure, clean, image-type community, type sport. Well, if that's the case, I mean, everyone's super clean image when, when all their little dirty secrets are swept under the rug. You know, like everyone looks good when that's the case. But let's shine a light on some of the dark corners of this industry, of this community, of this game. And I, again, like I'm coming from a position where I love hockey. Hockey's given me, you know, afforded me almost every amazing opportunity I've had in my life has come from the game. And I couldn't be happy about that. But my issue in speaking about this is I want more kids who look like me, who came from the neighborhood I came from, to, to look at me and be like, yo, I can do that too. The same way I looked at Jerome McGinley, the same way that I had my certain idols, because there's association through seeing someone who looks like you do something you admire doing. I want these young black kids to look at me and look at the Sim Wayne Simmons and Wardos and the Stewart brothers and Devo Smith-Pelly and Dun all these guys, right? There's a pretty long list we got now. I want them to look at us and be like, I can do that too. But if by the time they're 14, their backs and hearts are already dead. And on top of that, their parents are paying thousands of dollars for them to go play a recreational or competitive sport just to get, you know, racially profiled. You know, it's 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 insane to think like when you lay it out the cards like that, everyone in the right mind would be like, "Was this good or bad?" Which, if you could stop this, would you stop it? Everyone would be like, "Yeah, I would stop that. That seems wrong." Meanwhile, we're not stopping it. Where it's known, people who are running organized hockey organizations at the minor league levels and at the top levels are aware of this. And my heart honestly breaks to like hear a kid's story who looks like me to be like, "I didn't continue playing because." You know, it, it was too hard for me. Or on the flip side, like the kid who spoke to us with the Marlies, and there's a black kid in that situation. It's like, you know what? I quit, you know, whatever, baseball or soccer, whatever. But like hockey, I just, I love the game so much. I was willing to tolerate the racial abuse just because I love, I wanted to play the game so badly. Man, that break, that th I guarantee you there's a lot of kids in Canada that could say that. And that breaks my heart to think these kids had just to play the game that I love, that we all, it's a Canada's game, right? Just to play our nation's sport, they had to endure racial abuse constantly. And they did it, and they took it all on the chin without raising a peep because they just wanted a taste of what it's like to be a Canadian. They wanted to be like their classmates. They wanted to be like their boys at school. They just wanted to they wanted to be a part of a team. They wanted to. They wanted to be a, a. You know, they wanted to build something for themselves. They wanted to excel. They wanted to taste winning. They wanted to set out, a, a, have a goal, and 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 go out and accomplish it. And we're stripping them of that right by saying you're not. You're allowed to come play all you want, but you're gonna have to take some lashes. That's ridiculous. Like fuck that. That's ridiculous. Everyone tells you when you're a kid, right? You can be whatever you want to be, and you should want to find a job or a career that you you love, and you know. No one should have to put up with something, like put up with any 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 form of abuse just to chase the dream that you love. I mean, we should you should be encouraging people to do to be more like that. And, and there should be no barriers created. I mean, you already have a barrier having to train and have to wake up at 6 a.m. at the ice and have to do all this stuff to make it here. And on top of that, you compound it with being pushed down and like, you know, lack of a better term, oppressed to to just chase your dream. I mean. Yeah. Where would that ever happen anywhere else in the world either, too? I mean, like in the work, like any career you try to do that, it would, it would not, wouldn't stand for a second. So exactly. it's such a shame. Exactly. And back to Ricky's point, too, you know, like 
it or both your points about when that happens too, you create so many more barriers to entry, like a 14 year old kid or 15 or even 16, like maybe they don't have a stick of skin and they don't, and they don't put up with it and say, you know what I've done. And you could have just lost a, a great player, a role model, a leader, someone who might've done great work in, in, in their organization. Yeah, a like a yeah. solid community member. It's just, it's a shame that, that again, like that, we, that people have to face that today and, and it just keeps compounding. Like we should all, yeah. Marco, I want to ask, what do you say to your critics? Like someone who reads your, your player's tribune article and says, you know, all lives matter. It's like, yeah, well, first off, we get all lives matter. But right now, there's more important things on the agenda. Yeah. Like, yeah. yes, humans are humans and every human life on this earth matters. But right now, there are more important issues than all lives matter. So what do you say to the people like that that are just, you know, ignorant to the cause? Um, lately, um, lately, I haven't been I, I haven't been saying anything. Lately, I, I I just block them and I move on. I, I honestly, I my phone's been blowing up too much to be honest to like spend time on on those on those dummies now. But earlier in the week um, or last week, uh, I was trying to check some people for sure. I was definitely trying to check some people. I was trying to have some people come correct and and just let them know like, well, this is why. So for here's an example, I. Uh, I posted on my Instagram on my story. I reposted someone's uh, someone's tag that says something like, um, "When when we say all when you say all lives matter, it's like saying all houses. If there's ten houses, all houses matter. But there's one house that's on fire right now. So if all houses matter, you would have to water all ten houses. Well, would you not just spray down the one that's on fire?" Or would you treat the nine first and then spray the tenth one because they all houses matter? So it was something that was like much clearly like to the point, but it like was a great analogy. Of like, oh, that you, you can't dispute that argument. It makes so much sense now. Uh, lower educated people need pictures to to right. get the point across. So I posted that, and and this guy hits me back, being like, I don't agree with this. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, you should have agree with if a house is on, deserves water. I was like, what do you not agree about this? So there's a little bit of back and forth and they'll try to give me their side. And then I'll, you know, I say, hey, I respect where you're coming from, but that's not the argument right now. The argument is that obviously we know all lives matter. The point is there's one particular uh, minority life or culture life that is struggling right now. We're not saying that, Asian lives don't matter, white lives don't matter, or whatever, European, no, we're not saying that. We're saying currently we are not being considered equal humans in a lot of cases. So our lives matter. We're ready to yell it from the rooftops that our lives matter because we're being treated less than human in a lot of ways otherwise. Or if not, maybe in some uh, societies, not as bad as less than human, but it's most certainly not equal. So for people like that, earlier on, I, I did a little bit of back and forth. But to be honest, I mean, it's what I've come to realize is that that if you're willing to, if that's a sword you're going to die on, the hill you're going to die on, um, it's I can't I can't waste my breath with those people because I'm just not going to get it. I tried with the first few because I wanted people to like get the message. And to be honest, it's only been like a few percent. It's not majority of people have been very complimentary and positive but that few percent there's a couple sarcastic ones on twitter and i just said i really appreciate your your opinion or your comment something stupid like because it was blatantly just like 
he was he was just uh, he was commenting on like Christine Simpson's repost something I said and it was like about Trump or something that wasn't even, it was had nothing to do with politics but I just was like applauding I appreciate your your comment way way to way to really feel out the room before you typed your stupid response but um no you just it's it, to handle conversations like that it would take a much a far more serious approach a timed approach um, resources that I don't really have to offer right now. But it's like sitting down with a person and trying to just be straight up candid with them and be like, look, I get where you're coming from because I th- I, if you think it's rude to, to not say all lives matter, I get it because all lives do matter. Let me just try to explain to you. I'm very well capable. The thing about this fight is I feel like everyone on our side of the fence is very well capable of hearing people from the other side of the fence and hearing where they come from and then trying to have this dialogue. I'm not like so extreme to one side or the other that I can't still hear the other side of the table. But a lot of the people on the other side of the, this fence, they just can't, they just don't get it and they're not going to get it. Man, there is so much out in social media and the media right now that is unifiedly on, on the right side saying, this is wrong. On film, a man lost his life when he was no threat to the police and the police just straight up took it from him. Now, there's multiple, this happens a lot in the black community, and there's a lot of names now that we know because this has been happening a lot. Then the protests happen, and it continues to happen. It's just so wild to me that people can still not get it. But I went to the protest in Ottawa, and there's a dude there with a megaphone. And the protest was great. There had to be, I don't know, 20,000 people or something was very peaceful, no issues really went down. There's a one guy early on in the march across from Parliament Hill with a big megaphone, and and I can see kind of causing a ruckus, and I can see people kind of like almost trying to rush him, and some people like holding each other back, and I'm like, oh man, there's a fight about to break out. And the march had only just started, so I was like, this is not good. But the guy was out there, he was being all preachy um, about All Lives Matter. And as soon as he started saying that, he got a huge boost in the crowd and everything. So in that moment, I, there's no sense of becoming enraged. There's no sense of, you know, yelling over hundreds of people because my voice wouldn't be heard. I just looked at that guy and said, he looks ridiculous right now. Like, he's, he's a crazy. He's showing up to a Black Lives Matter like rally, chanting, all lives matter. Like, he's trying to get himself hurt. He's, 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 he's crazy. So when I get these DMs or these like Twitter responses, I think of the guy with the megaphone at the march. And I'm like, if I want to confront the guy on the street, because I would be like, that guy's whack. I can't, I'm not even going to waste my breath on that guy. It's the exact same kind of approach now I'm taking on social media. Just because someone has a direct line to me doesn't mean I got to hit that person back with a response. If they don't like what I'm saying, don't follow me straight up. It's easy. Unfollow one click of a button. You don't have to see anything I need to say ever again. It's like they want, like, you know, that's the great thing about the, about the media today is, like, you're so connected. You can you can see anyone's point of view, anyone's story, and you can choose to follow what you don't. But it just seems like, you know, it you know kudos to you for not because it's because uh, it seems like people are trying to almost like it's like gotcha mentality, right? It's like they want you to yeah. kind of get you and engage in something so you stoop down to a lower level and it discredits kind of your character and what you're doing. Whereas yeah, you're yeah. trying to stand for something bigger and they're just trying to say, well – yeah, we again. Rick's point. All lives do matter, but right now we're talking about something else. So yeah. 
I mean, it's, it's important to kind of hold yourself to a higher standard because also arguing with an idiot is one of the like, – it's a losing battle no matter what because exactly. he's not going to see your perspective and he has no, no desire to see your perspective no, either, right? No. That's but exactly what for me is I won't even bother arguing because if, if, if they spent time listening to my interviews or reading my article or, or looking at my posts, they already know where I'm at. So if doing all that, they still got something to say to me, I mean, there's no point. <laughs> They, they want I feel like sometimes people want to get a negative reaction sometimes too it's like we talk about let's say when you were a kid battling in the corners and someone calls you the n-word they want you to slash them back so right. you get the penalty and then you look like the bad the person. villain yeah this dude's probably with the megaphone saying I hope one of these dudes rushes me on camera so I could say see I, I was yeah. just peacefully protesting it's like man what are you doing like have some a sense of where you are and what's happening in the world like but tone deaf, yeah you sure. mentioned one thing about um, like being able to listen to others and respect what they're saying. And I feel like now there's two types of people in the world right now, people that are able to listen to what others have to say, you know, take it in and either respectfully choose one of their sides or however they believe. And then there's people that are just so blocked off to what's happening and aren't able to listen to others and make a, like a, a real decision or, really taking what other people are saying. And you see these videos, of a lot of, you know, old white men who are born into that white mentality They're now they're starting to change their views because they see what is happening. And it's so obvious. And then there's others that again, and you're, I'm not, I don't want to call out politicians or anything, but there's some that just don't, they're not able to see like what is so wrong that's happening in the world. And outsiders, you look at them and you're like, man, like you are an idiot. Like, how do you not, I get how you were raised. I understand that. But how can you not see what is currently happening? How many – the world is changing. Yeah. Like you're not able to, to listen to what others have to say and change your mentality that I guess has been going on for 60, 50, 70 years, whatever. Like this is the time where now you got to listen and make change because the world is changing. If you if people aren't on board for it, it's like you're going to get left behind because – exactly. You know, the world is a different place after after this yeah no you're right and that's that's again like not to get too political but there's definitely people i believe some political leaders most definitely in the states um that uh they they want to encourage some carnage you know they want they they want to create division is what it is um it's to their advantage in fact to create division so in a lot of ways you know that's I think that's where a lot of the side that that's where this argument's interesting is there's a mass population, excuse me, in the world who see this as a bad thing, like the police brutality and racism as a bad thing. People are protesting by the tens of thousands in Europe about George Floyd's life, you know, and his loss of life. So clearly this is something that I think like majority know is bad. The people on the other side of the argument who are so strong and, and and just willing to stand so firmly in their stance, in their position. I also have to remind myself, I saw this thing years ago in this Larry David movie, but his opening lines were like, you know, believing in, in, in whatever, like this type of like future or this type of world. You also have to believe that people are inherently good. And that's not the case for a lot of people. People just like aren't there's 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 evil in people's hearts. I've had a conversation with, with a former teammate of mine, and in, in one breath, he can be so uh, aggressively argumentative about, the, about Democrats, about what's happening right now, about 
statistics of black guys killing themselves more than police kill black guys. And then in the, other, in, the, in the same breath, you can say, you know, I just don't know why we all just don't love each other and why you just can't be nice to each other. And I'm like, bro, you were just like really accusatory at the beginning part of that sentence. And at the end of the sentence, you're like, but everyone just needs to treat. It's like, but you're not treating people like you just wish, you know, everyone did. You, he just expressed a hate in his heart for for people who don't see the way I'm seeing, but then in the same breath says, I just wish everyone could get together. <laughs> it's like, well, you can't, you're not even listening to your own advice, man. So well, how can I possibly fix you? So, so yeah, there's just, you know, there, the, the good thing about all this happening is, and I spoke to my dad about this, you know, he, he said, obviously the last couple of weeks in America is reminding him a lot of the late sixties and the civil rights movement in America that he would have experienced. And he said, one of the differences he's seeing is there's an overwhelming support from the white people, from the majority. And that is perhaps largely for one, I think because of the, the social media presence, because we could film things like George Floyd's murder. Anyone who has a heart can get outraged by seeing that. So because we're able to just pump so much content out these days, I truly feel that, it's touching so many more people in broader spectrums, more than just having to tune into the six o'clock news. We wake up and it's there. We go to sleep and it's there on our phones. But there seems to be, at least from, from these type revolutions, if we'll call it that, in the past, there's an overwhelming support and stance from the white majority. And that is what's going to be needed. That's, that's kind of my call to action from my white peers is to not go silent, to keep staying loud in this fight. Because you whites as the majority have the ability to create real change for minorities whose voices may not be as heard. So, yeah, there's definitely haters and there's silly people on the wrong side of the argument. But more overwhelmingly is the positive side of it more overwhelmingly more one thing we should promote more about or promote more than the haters is those like yourselves who can understand the pain and the hurt and the injustices that have been happening to people like me you know we got to realize that we're getting to know each other now you you got you guys and myself we're getting to know each other now we're acquaintances now we, we we're working together so if we're forming this relationship and you guys can walk away and say oh man that was a, that's a good dude like i like him let's talk to him again sometime and then a week later, you realize I'm the body laying in the street. That's me. That's not Erica Branson. It's not any of your other. That's me, right? That is the that is the world I'm going to continue to live in when this is all said and done. So the majority being angry and the majority being loud and the majority using their voices to say this isn't right. We need to vote new people into positions of power. We need to eliminate. We need to defund. We need to do whatever it is that causes the action. There's a lot of ways. Even just having conversations with your children at home, being open and candid, teaching them against racial discrimination and teaching them how that is not something we will ever support, but it's something that some of your friends and peers may have to experience. So acknowledge that when you're, when you're, uh, you know, when you, when you're becoming friends with these minorities and your classmates, your classmates, whatever it was, teammates, you know, that's the type of action that needs to be caused. But it is, you know, part of me is, is, is reassured in a sense to be like, this hurts right now. It hurts a lot for me right now to have to witness this. But if my old man witnessed this 50 years ago <clears throat> and not much, and you know, <laughs> the same thing's happening now, at least now we got all y'all on our side. You know what I mean? To, in like real ways of expressing your voices and real ways of saying, no, 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 no. I'm not down with that. 
I'm on I'm on this side. I'm ride or die with these guys right now because we're human. We're all lives are equal right now, but we are human. We all deserve the same type of equality. So everything that can come out of this, I'm hoping that we will, you know, we're never going to win the fight on racism. You know, I've used the comparison. It's like, that's like winning the war on drugs. You can win the war on drugs by eliminating a lot of the resources that come into your neighborhoods, your communities, your country, whatever, but there's still going to be a drug trade. There's still going to be an industry of criminals who operate and make a lot of cheddar that way. So in the same manner of speaking, you know, there's always going to be haters. There's always going to be racist people out there. And that's not something we can ever fix. We're not all going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya one day. But as long as we can eliminate the people in power who don't see this as a problem and then start to really create change for future generations to continue to build upon and build upon and continue to change and grow towards better times. You know, I, I, I don't know anything, but I am hopeful that that is something that will come of this. And honestly, it is because of guys like yourselves that are willing to have me on this platform to speak about this type of stuff and just to get messages out there that this very much exists. But together, we can push the needle a little bit more to make, if we're just focusing on solely on the hockey community, to make minorities' experiences better, you know? You know, man, God, God, that was powerful. Yeah, yeah. No, no honestly, um, yeah, man, kind of nailed, just nailed it all there, Mark. That was, on, like, that was, you summarized it really well. And that's, I think, the most important thing, right? Like, back to Ricky, the point he made earlier is, like, I didn't, me, I played baseball growing up and I, I didn't see it as much. Not that, again, not that I was ignorant to it because you, you can see and hear a little bit, but, um, you know, like all we can do now is educate and keep learning and having conversations. I mean, and, and, it's okay. And it's okay. I have a lot of friends who hit me up when this was starting to happen <clears throat> and, and they were, they were emotional and they were basically like, the more I started speaking about it and they started hearing my testimonies, they're like, man, I didn't, I didn't know. Like we grew up playing hockey together, you know. All, you know, they're my best boys still, but they didn't know because for the most part, we all kind of grow up with the same type of privilege, right? Same, same neighborhood. We're able to afford to play hockey, whatever. I continue to play hockey, so they were in a way probably envious that I was the one that kept making. It. But they didn't really making it. I continue to deal with this type of stuff. But my point is, how many people reach out and like? start to understand and say like I didn't realize it's okay that you didn't realize because it makes sense it wasn't happening to you the point is you now are understanding and acknowledging and now that you do get it you're you're like this is that's not cool <laughs> straight up just that's not cool so like you you know um, I'll never hate on, on someone who says you know because I was in this demographic I didn't really know hey man like there's, there's black people that that uh, you know almost have Stockholm syndrome in the world that they might not even really realize. There's experiences I've thought upon since this has all happened where I have this feeling of like, it's like this deep rooted teaching that like seeing a white person means you're safe. I'm black. Why am I thinking like that? I obviously am very comfortable around black people, you know, my friends, family, everything. But when there's moments of like of a potential danger and you see a white person, you're kind of like, Oh, phew. Like, I don't have to trip no more. Well, that's ridiculous. Why is a black person my thing in that? Because it's been ingrained in me to think like that. Even about my own people, it's been ingrained in me to think like that. So in these situations, like, why would you understand that? You know what I mean? That hasn't been your walk of life. But the whole point is coming to where we are now. Um, 
it's just dope that that guys like you, people like you guys, um, are willing to listen and hear and educate yourselves on these matters because, you know, ignorance, like you said, ignorance isn't an excuse. But if there's like blind ignorance because you just weren't aware of it, that's one thing. It's when it's thrown in your face and you choose to still live in ignorance, like the GTL is doing. That's when it's not cool. So honestly, like, again, that was really powerful what you said. And the way I, I look at it, again, I, I grew up playing hockey my whole life. And again, I've said this before. I've never witnessed racism, like, firsthand with my own eyes. Like, I've never heard someone say something racist. I've never seen it. But just because I've never seen it doesn't mean I don't know it exists. Yeah. And now, like, we're a little bit older. We're able to realize, and now with everything happening in the world, that how wrong it is. And we said, okay. I'm not black. I'm not a minority. I'm not underprivileged. So what can we do to use our voice, to use our privilege, to make a difference? And, you know, we know us people like us, we're not going to change the world. The two of us are not changing the world by any means. But you know what? If we could change a couple of people's minds that are in our close circle, our extended circle, if we can use this platform, use Instagram, if we can use our privilege to donate time, donate money and have those conversations and if – Two kids like, or not kids, if two men like us are changing a couple minds and two other people in Ottawa are doing the same thing, changing a couple minds, you got a couple more in Vancouver, New York, LA, Chicago, yada, yada, yada. If you got a couple people changing a couple people's minds, compounds. You, you're going to change a lot of minds. And I've said it, no one person is going to change the world, but together, united, there will be change. You can't stop the masses. Yeah. So. Uh, 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 that's exactly it you know that's you guys are doing the right thing right now by by uh by using this platform using your platform the podcast like you said your social media whatever i'm assuming you guys y'all don't have kids yet but you know obviously teaching to raise your kids the right way but you know it's not like you gotta go out and like truly like pound the pavement and be this like crazy hard-fighting activist the whole point is bring awareness out it's about bringing awareness about having the conversation i get it it's a tough conversation to have but having the willingness to get it out there is a big deal. Educating our children, our youth, is a big deal because, like you said, it's not going to be us. It's not even going to be our generation. It's going to be future generations that can create real change. But the education part is a lot. Just bringing to the, the the awareness that this is very much still an issue to people is 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 a good way to help push the needle. So thank you for that. Of course, and we we think that you know obviously this changes make a difference. And one very obvious way is you know what uh, Kimalu and I think it's Wayne Simmons they're doing with the Hockey Diversity Alliance. You know, that's one program. And I, I want to get your thoughts on that, too, because it's initiatives like this that are going to help, you know, the 12-year-old and 13-year-old kids that are getting, you know, mistreated. This is what's going to help them. When they see, you know, men and women or, sorry, men that have grown up with some of their idols. Because if you look at that alliance and that committee, you got some of the, you know, you got some great hockey players on that alliance. So, what, what you know, what do you think about that? Well, I I think it's, it's well, first of all, so it's a good first step, right? It's something that after Akeem Elius spoke came out uh, in November last year, talking about Bill Peters, he um, it's it's something that a lot of us talked about. There is uh, a bunch of there's a large group of, of, of black hockey players, uh, former NHLers like myself, NHLers, and we're all kind of just trying to figure out, you know, what what what's our move here? What can we do? So I was really happy to, to hear that they did form um, the alliance because another good thing is we wanted to keep it independent from the league. Obviously, we got to work um, along with the NHL, but we wanted it to be something that 
the black players had control of opposed to the league running it, the league dictating how we control the diversity um, uh, platforms. Now, they will have their own diversity programs, and we know some brothers uh, that, that have worked within the league that will be uh, helping them out there as well. So really, it's just, you know, the the Diversity Alliance, it has, uh, like I said, it's early days now. They only just announced it. Um, they have some work still to do, but uh, as far as just like building their own foundation, figuring out exactly what their plan of attack is. But the point is, uh, enough is enough, you know, and we wanted to do something so that we could kind of control a little bit of the narrative. And I'm just really happy that those guys were able to step up and get it done. Um, you know, at times, you know, when you're asking everyone's opinion, at times there's too many cooks in the kitchen, but it's great because they, they've got a solid group of dudes there. They got some, like you said, some heavy hitting names from NHL talent. I think Joel Ward's just a fantastic dude. He's really smart. A lot of us, um, not just black hockey players, but hockey players respect, just respect him so much and, and, and truly look up to him. Um, he's someone I most certainly admire. So, um, they're not quite sure I mean, like I said, I don't quite know what their plan or what motion they'll, they'll be taking, but the point is <clears throat> they wanted to commit something um, that, for one, if player, if future players, future black players dealt with racism, they had somewhere they could go. They had someone who they talked to. They had a mentorship-type program that they could lean on other people like us who could share our sentiments, our experiences, our stories, and our strength with them. So that those 14-year-olds in the GTL who maybe make it, that get drafted and maybe sign a, an entry-level contract and then deal with something in whatever minor league town they're playing in can reach out now and has a resource. Or even guys perhaps in the OH, I don't know what the reach will be, but the point is there's a lot of us out there and not a single one of us has played, has had a life in hockey without at one point in time dealing with some kind of racial attack. So that being said, it's, it's great for the initiative alone that there's a grassroots mo- movement of how can we continue to grow this game? How can we try to find ways to make this game more affordable for minority communities? Um, how can we hold people accountable when things happen in the future? And as well, how can we create a platform, or not just a platform, but um, a link, you know, a, a line for, for the players who do suffer with this? I don't want a 14-year-old to have to quit hockey because he can't handle this anymore. At least not without reaching out to the diversity or to the diversity alliance first, because I think it's really important for us to, you know, as a black community, we we often try to pick each other up. That's what I mean. That's what any minority community does. That's what you know, the Chinese immigrant to a new country, a new city, is going to probably go to Chinatown. <laughs> you know, because his people are going to be there to help them to help this new family you know, get on their feet. And that's what the, that's what culture, that's what these foreign cultures are all about. But when it comes to African-Americans, African-Canadians, a lot of us are foreign cultures, but community's always been a very big part. I'm half Jamaican. Community, the communal element of, of, of just of, of opening your doors up to another, to a neighbor, to anyone, to be honest, is, is such a strong part of who we are. So in that sense, I think it's a great initiative of what they're doing. Like I said, I'm excited to see what they come up with because I know as far as their plans of action, they still, you know, um, you know, they got some pieces of the puzzle they got to figure out still. But uh, as far as just creating a safe space, if that's all it is, for future black hockey players who are dealing with whatever it is that's on their mind, they don't got to go to their white peer and ask them, 
what do I do about this, knowing that they might not be the best equipped to help them. Instead, they can come to a Wayne Simmons, um, you know, a, a, a Trevor Daly, a Joel Ward, a Chris Stewart, and and uh, Matt Dumba, and they can do it. You know, they can learn from those who have, have been paving the way. Just like the people of my generation, the players of my generation, have learned from the, the Kevin Weekses and the Anson Carters and the Bryce Salvadors and Jamal Mares and those boys. You know, it's the same. We all got the same stories, <laughs> generation to generation. It hasn't been changing. Um, but I'm, I'm most, like, impressed with that element of it, that they're creating a channel where, where, where future, and to be honest, not exclusive just to black players either. You know what I mean? Like, we're talking about people of color here. We're talking about minorities in the game as a whole. So, because you got to reach out for the, you know, Nas Kadri, Nas, Nas he's Lebanese background. You know, you got to reach out for, to the Latinos who are playing. You got to reach out to the Asians who are playing too. Because, you know, there's a good argument that they're on even more of an island than we are when it comes down to it. So, and that, so that's, that's kind of my thought about the, about the Alliance is, um, like I said, I'm still anxious to see what comes out. I talked to a couple of the boys, but it's, um, you know, it's still new. So I don't know a ton about it myself, but I do know like what their drive is and if, if the drive is great to be independent from the league, um, but working with the league just to try to create some kind of change. And, and I think if I was a young kid, if I was a 10 year old kid playing hockey right now, starting to understand a little bit of what's happening in today's day, I would, I, I would have seven new dudes to be a fan of, you know, and that's, that that's what it, what it is for us you know what i mean it is is being legitimate role models for 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 everyone but especially for kids who look like us who might otherwise never get to know the game it's definitely a step in the right direction that's that's kind yeah of me, right so i think all these things like i mean dude everything you're doing uh even coming on like i mean obviously from the from the players tribune article but even this this talk you've had i mean like times are flying by right? and you shared some great insights and honestly that uh, you know um, thanks for that. I mean, like, do you have any other questions no, you want no, to ask? Like, again, for me, it was just like, I, I'm, I'm glad that we can have conversations like this because again, like I said, if we can change a couple people's minds that are, let's say a little more closed minded and a little more, I don't want to say the word ignorant, but less that they just don't understand. So if we can have this conversation, they can listen to this podcast and say, you know what? I'm, I, I need to change the way I'm thinking. That's, that's our whole goal. Right. So I think after listening to you, I think we, no, I'm not saying we have millions of listeners, but we've got a good amount, and uh, I hope that we can uh, change some minds yeah. on this. I yeah. appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot, man. Like, honestly, I've been doing a bunch of uh, interviews and whatnot, but I'm, I'm grateful for your platform. I honestly came on and have a million viewers, so I don't yeah. have to do something. <laughs> We're, we're no we're joke, Logan, yeah. We're close. We're getting there. Again, this is going to be a good one. Mark, honestly, like, Again, thank you for coming on and for, for speaking up and sharing your story. And, and you know, um, I, we don't know that, like, but it's got to be very brave. So kudos to you. And obviously, we'll, you know, we'll do our best to keep the narrative going and spread this wherever we can. I, we do have one question we ask everybody. Uh, if you could give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would you tell yourself? Uh, that's easy because I just thought of this not long ago. Um, <laughs> I would tell myself to watch The Last Dance that just came out, the Michael Jordan uh, Chicago Bulls documentary that just came out. <clears throat> and why I say that is I obviously love I watched it. I loved it. Um, I made it to the NHL. So I obviously had a few things going for me. But being uh, 14 years into my pro career, watching that, man, 
for one, I was always like really anxious and nervous around the game, around like the lead up to the game and all that. And part of it I felt was, you know, in hockey, you're often encouraged to, you, you stay under this glass ceiling, you know, unless you're like an elite, elite guy. You're not always encouraged to, to become something you're not because then they got to pay you for that. <laughs> They'd rather keep you down here um, and then go find someone else that can do that, that gig. So I think I would have had like this really cool calmness to just not worry about like the fear of failure when you're going out to do your job. Just, just I would have had this whole new confidence watching how MJ like was just was gambling with the security guys like before <laughs> games in a suit and all that. And then on top of that, I would have gained a whole new, uh, I think, like killer instinct. Again, like you don't make it to the NHL, at least not on my level of skill, without being like really disciplined in all these other approaches to the game and your training and your and your rep and all of it. Right? I would have had a different type of like on the ice, like swag kind of to me. You know what I mean? That I would have tried to adapt from like his killer instinct. I would have been. I'm not really chirpy. My chirps are like. Oh yeah, whatever. Like I'll uh, I'll kick your ass, <laughs> you know. Like, I'm, I'm not a good chirper, you know. I, I basically just threaten people. I threaten, <laughs> and that's it. Um, but no, I would have uh, I would have just been more like a smart aleck. I would have been like, yo, who cares what any of these people say? It's all you. I would have like I would have I would have painted some like sometimes a false narrative just so I could like hunt this guy down and, and get you know better of him. So honestly, I would say to all kinds of kids. Who are, who are in pursuit of any, like, competitive sport that have, like, a legitimate chance of making it, watch The Last Dance, man. You will gain so much further perspective. Because the other thing is you don't make it pro unless you have a proper self-evaluation, right? You need a proper, like, self-realization of what you are. I wouldn't have made it to the NHL if I thought I was Paul Coffey. I knew I was, you know, I was, knew more, I was more of a Darian Hatcher guy than I was a Scott Niedemeyer. So when that own self-reflection having an understanding more and then applying that MJ killer instinct and that MJ cool calmness and approach, getting out of my own head and not being such a, you know, anxious worry wart around games, but just being like, nah, man, you got this. You're straight. You're Gucci. You're good. I would have, I, I mean, I, I wish I could go back and do it. I would watch binge watch that like three times over strapped on the skates. And I probably would have been out there to be honest, trying to do things. I wasn't capable of doing, <laughs> but I think overall, man, what I could tell my young self is, um yeah man just just it, it would i think it would have brought me to like another level of being dialed in you know what i mean I, I i don't feel in a lot of ways i don't have regret in a lot of ways where i feel like oh i could have given more i could have left more out there i tried my hardest man i don't really think i can I'm, I'm content in what i've been able to accomplish in my career but i think just watching that now i'm thinking oh man there's i think i have a deeper level of like killer instinct i could have got to that I'm now seeing like so closely how MJ got there, and I'm feeling like, bro, I could have had a little bit of that in me if I would have, if I would have known, you know, if I would have known, <laughs> if I would have had some like this kind of thing to show me it's it's possible, I would have, I would have, I would have done it. But anyways, yeah, that's that's what I would say to anyone coming up, man. Watch the last dance, and if you don't like it, you're crazy. I thought it was so. Cool. <laughs> Honestly, it was a great one. Like, I was, I mean, I, again, no pro athlete, but I was ready to run through a brick wall after I was watching MJ. Man, don't say you can win an eating contest, man. Oh, listen, I've I played sports. <laughs> I I played rep. I played rep ball. I mean, I was okay. I was okay, but no, I, I know what you mean. That's listen, some great advice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and again, Mark, if you ever want to come on and chat, buddy, like you're, you know, you're a pal now. You're always welcome to come on. Uh, we're gonna set up a little uh, summer boxing match. 
You, you and uh, Branson. Three rounds. <laughs> I only need one. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's all. Uh, and that's all we got, man. Again, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, and yeah, that's all that's I got. It. Yeah, thanks, pal. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it a lot. All right, cheers. Cheers, guys. You like to drink and to smoke to take away the pain And I don't remember all of my mistakes And every I got alone, no one thing You're not alright, I'm not